Grace to you and peace from God our Father, from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. Our text today from Isaiah chapter 12, words that we just sang together. Now let's speak them together. Surely it is God who saves me. I will trust in him and not be afraid. This is our text. Isaiah was speaking from experience. He had seen the Lord. The vision that he describes for us convinced him beyond a shadow of a doubt of the truthfulness of that. We read his words this past week. I saw the Lord, high and exalted, seated on a throne. And the train of his robe filled the temple. What an amazing sight that must have been. What a vision to behold for the prophet Isaiah. But you know, the vision doesn't end there. That's, that's kind of the most impressive part of it, I guess. But I'm not sure that it's the most important part. We need to know what happened next. Because as Isaiah was transported somehow into the presence of the Lord... He responded much the way that I think you or I would, and, and that, that is, he was terrified. And he confessed his unworthiness to be there, to, to be in the presence of the Holy One of Israel. And after he does that, the vision continues. Then one of the seraphim flew to me. Seraphim is plural for seraph, and a seraph is an angel. Then one of the seraphim flew to me with a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with tongs from the altar. With it he touched my mouth and and said, See, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. What was the response of Isaiah to this amazing announcement? He tells us, Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? And I said, here am I, send me. We simply cannot overstate the impact that this experience had on Isaiah. It it gave him the courage and the endurance for a very trying and very long ministry of 60 years. And during that time, he witnessed the complete destruction of the northern kingdom and, and many of the, event, of the events that would, it, would put into place the destruction of his beloved Judah, the southern kingdom. Throughout these dangerous, turbulent times, Isaiah steadfastly maintained his trust in God and was not afraid to speak God's word and to live God's way. Many times in many ways during the course of his ministry he was confronted with the question, my apologies to English teachers, who are you going to trust? Isaiah's response, surely it is God who saves me. I, I will trust in him and not 
be afraid. Well, quite the opposite occurred at the start of chapter 16. There we are told that when the Assyrian army threatened the northern kingdom, the king there, a man by the name of Hoshea, trusted not in God, but in the alliances, the political alliances that he had been able to forge, notably with, uh, with Egypt. And he trusted also in the, in the strong fortifications that surrounded Samaria, which was his capital city. Bad move. It took a while, three years, but eventually the Assyrian army overwhelmed Hoshea's defenses and the people of the northern kingdom were driven from their homeland. And that's the last we hear of them. Ten of the tribes of Israel were lost, just like that. When they were threatened by the Assyrians, Hoshea and all the northern kingdom had to answer the question, who are you going to trust? How sad that they didn't come to the same conclusion as Isaiah, so that, so that they could have said, well, surely it is God who saves us. We'll trust in him and not be afraid. Now, the Assyrians came from the north. And that means that once the northern kingdom was taken out by the army, what was next in line? Southern kingdom, Judah. The Assyrian king set his sights squarely on Jerusalem. But there was somebody living in Jerusalem who made all the difference in the world. And I'm not talking about Hezekiah now. He, he lived there too. But I'm talking about the prophet Isaiah. Because while it's not at all clear in, in, in the story, when we read the entire account in the scriptures, it becomes quite apparent that at first, Hezekiah started to go down the same road that Hoshea to the north had. He was, he was negotiating with the Egyptians for them to protect him. That is, until Isaiah got a hold of him. That's when things changed dramatically for Hezekiah and for all the people living in the southern kingdom as they found the faith to be able to say with the prophet, surely it is God who saves us. We'll trust in him and not be afraid. Well, if you read chapter 16, this, but you read it, didn't you? So you know what happened next. The commander of the Assyrian army scoffed at that faith and very loudly and arrogantly proclaimed to the people of Jerusalem, do not let Hezekiah persuade you to trust in the Lord. And they went on to give them all kinds of reasons why they couldn't trust in the Lord and, and it all centered around the assertion by the Assyrian commander that the Lord would not be able to save his people from the mighty Assyrian army. But of course he did. In one of the greatest turnarounds in history, 
the supposedly invincible Assyrian army was decimated by God in a single night with 185,000 of their soldiers falling at the hand of the Lord. The faith of Hezekiah and of his people was vindicated. Surely it was God who saved them. When they trusted in him, there was no reason to be afraid. And the same thing is true for us. Isaiah tells us why that is so. Because Isaiah preached not just to Hezekiah and the people then, but he also preaches to us today. He was given an an amazing insight into the greatest act of salvation in the history of the world. The most remarkable thing about that, that wouldn't happen for another 700 years until after the, the life and death of Isaiah. And yet he saw it with such clarity that he was able to speak about it in the past tense as if it had already happened. Talking about Isaiah chapter 53, it's at the very end of chapter 16 of the story. As I read that again, I was struck by the very specific ways that prophecy was fulfilled in the suffering and death of Jesus. For instance, Isaiah says of the coming Messiah, he was assigned a grave with the wicked. Well, Jesus died between two criminals and with a rich man in his death. Well, only a wealthy person could afford the kind of tomb that Joseph of Arimathea made available for the body of the Lord. Isaiah also says of the coming Messiah, he made intercession for the transgressors. We can can find all kinds of times in Jesus' ministry when he did that. But one just stands out while he was being crucified, as he pleaded with his father made intercession for the very ones who were placing him on that cross. What Isaiah saw and what Jesus experienced is memorialized in the Church of the Holy Sepulchre, which we, uh, our group that went to Israel, visited less than two weeks ago. I'm going to show you some pictures. So now you knew you had to see some pictures, right? When you walk into the Church of the Holy Sepulchre, it's right in Jerusalem. If you want to, anyway, you can, you can turn to your right and, and go up a set of steps. And when you arrive at the top of those steps, you're on top of Calvary, the hill where, where Jesus was crucified. There's a couple of altars up there. The one that's on the screens right now is the one that's, that's there from the Roman Catholic Church. And it marks the spot, maybe you can see that kind of in the background, it marks the spot where Jesus was placed on the cross. That's why the cross is on the ground there in that picture. And if you move just a little, I mean just a little bit, you see the rock, at least a portion of it, it's what's in that glass case right in the middle of the picture that you're seeing now. And that's a rock, the the rock of Calvary. It's covered by a roof now by, by a church, but of course it wasn't at the time of Jesus. And if you take just a couple more steps to the left, you see another altar. 
this one by the Greek Orthodox Church, and we'll do a little bit of a close-up on that altar, marks the spot where the cross of Christ was placed, so where he died. One of the remarkable things about Isaiah 53 is that it talks about all of these things, really. But more, it doesn't just talk about Jesus' suffering, his humiliation. It also talks about his exaltation. We find that also in the Church of the Holy Sepulchre. You you don't have to walk just uh, probably a couple of dozen steps. You're still in the church. And you come upon the place that marks the tomb of of Jesus. It's a kind of a freestanding shrine. Now this is the the entrance to it. And when you get inside there, it's a pretty small, confined space that we couldn't actually take a picture of of the whole thing. This is the top of it, and this just, just pans down. And that banner that's there at the tomb of Jesus says, it's in Greek, but what it says is, Christ is risen. Well, that's what Isaiah said. 700 years earlier, in chapter 53, he used these words, speaking of the Messiah, after he has suffered, he will see the light of life. That Isaiah could prophesy these events with such clarity and accuracy hundreds of years before they happened is just one more testament to the total trustworthiness of the scriptures and of the one who has given them to us. So that Isaiah could make that bold assertion, surely it is God who saves me, I will trust in him and not be afraid. So, how has your experience been in in that regard? Are you persuaded to trust God completely at all times and in all places? Can you face every single one of life's circumstances and not be afraid? No, me neither. We need some help with this, don't we? It's reassuring to me, maybe it will be for you as well, to recognize that there's actually two parts to that that sentence that we're using as our text today. The first is a statement of faith. Surely it is God who saves me. I, I think any of us can make that statement without question. The second part is more an expression of our deep desire and our strong determination I will trust in him and not be afraid. We need help to get there. That's why we gather regularly for worship. It's why we receive the sacrament of the Lord's Supper. It's why we're reading the story together. Now we've been at it for a while, right? We're halfway through. So if, if somewhere along the line you kind of dropped out for a while, don't feel bad about that, but, but also don't stay stuck there. Why don't you just pick up the, the, the book again and start reading this afternoon, chapter 17. That's where we are, that's what we're reading, and if, if sometime you want to pick up the chapters that you missed, that's all right, but, but just get started again. 
And if you're part of a small group, keep plugging away at that. If you've seen our uh, St. Lawrence Connections Facebook page, keep watching for those My Story Minute videos that are there. And, And listen carefully to the sermons that we preach every Sunday. For me, anyway, if nothing else, these first 16 chapters of the story really serve to do with what the journey to Israel also did. And that is to drive home in dramatic fashion that God's purpose in history, His story, will be accomplished. There is nothing powerful enough to change that. There's no stopping it. And what he wants is for you and and me to know where we fit into his story. Since we've come back from Israel, I've been uh, greeted quite often this way again several times Uh, this morning before the services. Welcome back. How was your trip? Of course, what else would you you say to someone? It's It's a very simple question. But I have discovered that it's not a simple answer to to put into one or two or or just a few words. But reading chapter 16 kind of opened my eyes to this. In some way, I don't want to overdo it, but, but in some way, to be very honest to say it was a bit of an Isaiah experience. To be ushered into the presence of God. So, to stand in the tomb of Jesus and to read that banner, Christ is risen. Or to kneel, that's, that's me in that stylish raincoat there. To kneel at the, at the altar on Calvary. And you have to kneel if you want to put your hand on the place where the cross was. Such an awesome experience that, that I didn't totally anticipate, even though I'd been there before and, and cannot fully articulate such a powerful and moving experience. So much so, and I hope I don't sound like a salesman on this one, but so much so that, that and, and we saw this in the people who traveled with us as well, that, that Karen and I said, we've gone twice, we've got to go at least one more time. So we're, we're planning, you know, things can change, of course, but we're targeting two years from now, the, the early in 2016. So I'll issue an invitation to you right now to join us um, on that. And if you can't wait that long, I wouldn't blame you. I'll be happy to hook you up with people who go there all the time. Now, I don't want to give the wrong impression. You don't have to travel to the Holy Land. Not everybody's going to be able to. Not everybody wants to. You don't have to travel to the Holy Land to have a faith like, like that of Isaiah. I don't want anybody to think that. Through the eyes of faith, we've all seen God in the cross of Christ and the waters of baptism. 
in the bread and wine of the Lord's Supper, we see the God who saves us, the one in whom we can trust and and who delivers us from all fear. He's the one who, through Moses, said to the the people of Israel, way back in chapter 6, these words, as they were, were preparing to go into the promised land, I have set before you life and death. Now choose life. I thought of those words when I read the words that came out of the mouth of the commander of the Assyrian army. Almost identical. After he had told the people of Jerusalem, this is what's going to happen to you if you don't stop resisting us and if you, com- if you continue to trust in the Lord. And then he said to them, Choose life and not death. Same words. Same choice. Two entirely opposite outcomes. It's one or the other. Trust in the word of man or trust in the word of God. So we're back to our original question. Who are you going to trust? What's our answer? I think you know it. Surely it is God who saves me. I will trust in him and not be afraid. Amen. And the peace of God, the peace that drives out all fear, the the peace of God which passes all understanding will keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Amen.